leaders of the church who have supported just about everything that we propose to do. I think we've had some good years. I think we've seen some church growth. Unfortunately, COVID hit us at a time where we had some momentum, and I think we lost some of that momentum, but look at this, look today, it's coming back. I, I believe people are gonna be searching for answers in these coming years when they see more and more things in the world go kind of crazy and not make a lot of common sense. And I, it's my prayer that they turn back to the Bible, turn back to the words of God, and find hope and eternal life there. Amen, Amen. Nick. So we're going to look at a very familiar section of Scripture, Psalm 23. Probably most of you, even if you've not been in church a whole lot, have heard the 23rd Psalm. This is a psalm that actually, when I was in vacation Bible school, uh, my teacher told me we're going to memorize Psalm 23, and then on the last day, you'll get to get up on the stage and recite it in front of everybody. And I thought, I think I'm going to go home. <laughs> so it, it, it happened to be a two-week bi uh, vacation Bible school. I, I, I never heard of such a thing, but it was two weeks. And so I stayed the first week. The second week, I went home because um, I'm an introvert. I'm shy when I get up in front of people. But God is still using Psalm 23 more and more in my life as you go through. And we've been talking quite a bit about meditation, meditating on God's word. What a good one to meditate on because you will meditate on that and find so many nuggets of gold inside there that it's just unbelievable. And it's, it's, it's going to be very difficult uh, during this sermon to get everything that we need to get out of it. But we do the best we can, right? And then we come back and we preach on it again. So 23rd Psalm, you probably found it by then. I want to say just a few words about it. This psalm was written by King David. Not all the songs, psalms, by the way, are written by King David. Many of them are. Many of the psalms actually are unidentified. We don't know who wrote them. Maybe David did. Some are written by Moses. Some have been written by uh, the sons of Korah and other authors. Solomon has written some of the books, some of the Psalms. But this one happens to be written by King David, the king over all of Israel. The king who has been described in Scripture and by God as a man after God's own heart. Now you would think that because he's an author in the Bible that he's a pretty okay guy, that he is a, that he is a perfect person. But we know that he is not. We know that he committed adultery. We know that he then conspired to kill uh, Bathsheba's husband. And so when he writes in the Psalms, it comes from his very own experiences, and not only the good, but also the bad. Psalm 51, for instance, is written by David, and it's a great psalm of him confessing his sin before God and how God restores him. And so as we look at the Psalms, especially the ones written by David, the reason I like them is that they are so full of emotion. And I'm not typically external, externally, at least, a very emotional person. But there's something about the Psalms that resonate with me because King David is more than willing to just express all the things that are going on in his life to God. He felt the freedom to do that. And the one reason he felt the freedom to do that is he knew that the Lord was his shepherd and the Lord was watching out for him. And so David was not perfect, 
but he was a man after God's own heart. This psalm really is preached a lot of times as though it were being preached to us or being preached about David. This psalm really is about God. And it's really about what type of God we serve and what type of God is calling us into a relationship with him. And so I hope that you've got to Psalm 23 and in our church we always stand for the reading of God's word. And if you're unable to stand, that's perfectly okay as well. But we will this time stand for uh, saying God's word and then we'll have a word of prayer. So it begins out a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank so much for scripture, and we thank you especially today for Psalm 23, the scripture you have given to us to read and to study and to gain insight from. We pray that you will give us understanding to understand the words of this psalm, but we pray also that you would give us wisdom how to use that and give us the courage to be obedient where it calls us to obedience. Most of all, I hope and pray today that as Darla and I are leaving soon, that this church would know that they are not without a shepherd, that the head shepherd is over this church and that they have good leaders within this church to help support them during this time of absence of a man filling the pulpit. And so we thank you that you love us and care for us. We thank you that you will be there for us whatever situation that we are in. And we ask that you would guide and direct us in the rest of this message. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So a lot of times... Uh, I just start down going down through the verses and start talking about them. So we're going to start with verse 1. And we'll have some uh, comments that you can write on your notes. Also, you should have found somewhere some notes where you can take and fill in the blanks. And that's just to kind of help you as we go through this to gain some of the main insights uh, and highlights of this sermon. But the very first verse, I think, is critical, of course. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's almost as if the author, David, is boasting in the fact that the Lord is his shepherd. It's as though he is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And he's saying that in a way that he's almost proud of that because he understands what it means to have the Lord as his shepherd and everything that comes to us when we choose the Lord to be our shepherd. When we choose him to be our shepherd, we're in essence saying that he is our master, that he is our Lord, that he is the one who has the right to tell us how we are to live our lives. Now, the moment I say that, there's going to be some, and I was one of those in this 
in this group who kind of bristle at that and say, well, I certainly do not want anyone telling me what to do. And you guys have heard this story from me, right? When I was in high school, a young lady approached me and shared the gospel with me and told me that I needed to surrender, surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just plainly told her, and I was a fool for doing it, but I told her that I wanted to live my life the way I wanted to live it, and I was not going to surrender to the Lord because I wanted to live my life the, my, the, my way, the way I wanted to do that. And maybe some of you can resonate with that. I'm sure all of us probably can because we all were there at some point in our life where we were doing exactly what we wanted without any thought of God or without any thought of following the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you today, David is happy about this. He is not groaning about this. He's not sad that the Lord is his shepherd. He is happy about this. He is almost boasting about this. And the reason he is doing that is because Jesus is worthy of our devotion. Amen? Amen. He is worthy of our, de of our devotion. Jesus is a man that is like no other man. We teach, and the Bible teaches that Jesus was not only 100% man, but that he was 100% God. He was God who came in the flesh and lived his life right in front of us. It was recorded in the Bible so that we could know what he did and to follow his example. David says because of this, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, he says, as I follow Jesus, I will lack nothing. I will lack nothing. Now this may be a little bit difficult for some of you to understand because we have all been times where we didn't have what we wanted, right? There may even have been time where you did not have food that you needed and thought that you needed. But for the Christian, they are so in love with Christ that the only thing that they need is that relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're willing to sacrifice everything else for that. And so David could say, even though David did lack plenty, right? You might say, well, David was king. He never lacked very much. Well, that's not true. Before he was king, he had someone called Saul who was persecuting him and following him and trying to put him to death. And David had to live in caves and he had to live without the niceties of life, and yet he always came back to his relationship with God and said, this relationship will sustain me. And I know that's a little bit difficult for some to understand because you think of, maybe you're thinking of Jesus as a concept, but Jesus is not a concept. Jesus is a person. Jesus is a person who lived, died on a cross, was buried, rose from the dead, and now seats at the right hand of God. Amen? Amen? He seats at the right hand of God. He is not some concept. He is a person whom we can truly have a relationship. And you say, well, how can I have a relationship? I can't see him. Where is he? I, I would just want to touch him. I want to be able to see him. Well, he has done that in the past. Those words were written down in the Bible. And Jesus and God says, this Bible... This revelation that I've given to you of the Son of God is sufficient for you to know and to have a relationship with me. And so that's why churches like Freedom Baptist Church 
And unfortunately, fewer and fewer churches adhere to this, but we adhere to the Bible as being the infallible word of God and the way that we experience a relationship with him. Now in the future, we will see him face to face, right? We will see him face to face. Christians will see him face to face. We will bow the knee to him. Non-Christians will see Jesus face to face. They also will bow the knee to Jesus. Everyone will bow the knee to Jesus because he is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of our worship and we shall not want. As I follow Jesus, I will lack nothing because he is the supreme gift that God has given to me. This obviously doesn't mean that I will have every selfish desire fulfilled. I may not have the newest iPhone, 13, 14, whatever it is. I may not have the newest Android phone, but I will have him. I will have Jesus and what he has given me. And he has given us greatly many, many things, right? Let me just turn to another scripture real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Let me read this to you. Listen to what we have in Jesus. Not physical blessings, but spiritual blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessing? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, listen to this, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so Jesus, when we have a relationship with God, says that we will have every spiritual blessing. He lacks nothing. When we go to heaven, there will be no lack of spiritual blessings, no lack of joy, no lack of happiness. Everything will be perfect because of the gift that Jesus has given to us. And according to this, he even tells us our purpose. I can tell you your purpose for living on this earth. It's to exist for the praise of his glorious grace, right? We should be very vocal about the grace that has been shown to us. Grace just means an undeserved favor that he has done for us, an unmerited favor. In other words, he gives us good things when we do not deserve it. And that's what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to be heralds who will declare the glories of his wonderful grace. And so we have much in Jesus Christ. It really means that spiritually, God provides all that we need for our salvation through Jesus Christ. When he went to die on the cross, he purchased everything that we need for salvation. And then he asks us to come and to rest in what he has done. As we follow Jesus, he provides all that we need for the Christian life. Let's look at verses two and three. One, two, and three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. 
Sounds very calm and peaceful, doesn't it? If it sounds very calm and peaceful to you, then you got it right. <laughs> because that's what it means. Look at your notes and look at the top of that. There's a picture of a lake and there's a, a picture of the green grass and the streams. And that's a very peaceful scene that we see. That's the idea, idea behind following Jesus is that he is going to provide for us peace with God and spiritual rest. We have a need for peace in this world, don't we? Amen. Amen. Can we all say that we need peace in this world? There is, seems like a lack of peace everywhere these days. Whether it's in the United States or whether it's in the Ukraine or Russia or China, whether it's racial unrest in our streets or gender issues or marital problems, there is a lack of peace. And it all comes because of people who have not yet made their peace with God. They are warring with God, and the result is that they take it out on people. All the strife that we've seen in our nation are symptoms from a lack of peace with God. Christians contribute to it as well, right? When they're not walking in the spirit. But listen to what James has to say about quarreling and strife. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Wouldn't you like to know that? When you see all, everything that's going on in the news? He tells us, James tells us, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In other words, you have passions that are at war within yourself. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Basically, he comes down and he says, because of this quarreling that's going on within yourself, I want this, I want that. We can't have it all, right? Because of that, it causes quarreling and fights and even causes murder. And it causes a sin called covet, coveting. It's not a it's not a word we use very much anymore. Anyone know what the word covet means? It means that you want something that belongs to someone else. Do we see any of that in our nation? <laughs> Everybody wants our stuff, right? <laughs> I say everyone should have their own stuff, but no, we should be kind and we should be giving and we should help the poor. But it must be done voluntarily not under compulsion. And so what we need is peace with God so that we can bring peace with our neighbors as we talked about in our Sunday school lesson. And so we need this peace. We need this spiritual rest. And Jesus is the one who has the answer for that. When we are content in Jesus, we don't have all this strife going on in our life, right? We're content with the simpler things of life. Maybe not as much stuff as what we think we have to have. Probably all of us could learn a little bit of lesson from that. And so sheep will follow the shepherd because of his loving provision for them. That's ultimately why Jesus wants us to follow him. He's not about a set of rules and regulations just so he can prove his authority over you. 
He wants us to love him and to serve him, not under compulsion, but because of love. But he provides for us, and it's illustrated, I believe, in these two verses that show us the peace of God and show us our soul being restored. We don't work for our salvation, do we? We rest. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He makes us to lay down and rest because the essence of becoming a Christian is to relinquish your working of salvation, right? We want to try to work for it as part of our fallen sinful nature. We want the glory for, in essence, saving ourselves. But that cannot happen in the kingdom of God. We don't work for our salvation, but Jesus has done the work for us on the cross. You guys all understand this, right? We owe a debt because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, because we don't have Jesus as our shepherd. We owe a debt, and that debt must be paid. The thing of it is, is that the shepherd gets onto the altar and gives his own life for the sheep. Amen? Amen. Imagine that. That's not how the world works, right? It's not the leader who gets on the altar. But in the kingdom of God, that's exactly how it works. The greatest of us, the greatest man, the one who is the son of God, came down from heaven, got onto a cross, and paid the debt that we owed. He restores our soul. Our soul had been corrupted. Our soul was dead. It was separated from God. And now because of Jesus, it can be reunited with God and we can have peace with God. Amen. He laid down his life for the sheep. Because he restores our soul, we have no anxiety now. Everything is in his care and trust. And he will lead us in paths of righteousness. As we follow Jesus, he conforms us to the image of Christ. So if you're here today and you've made a decision for Christ and you are following after him, I can also tell you another part of God's will for your life, and that is that you follow him in righteousness. In other words, you forsake your old way of life that was corrupt and was full of sin and you adopt the new life which is following Jesus Christ in obedience. How do we know how to be obedient? We go back to God's word, right? But this time it's different. It's not a rule, it's not a, it's not a set of rules and regulations now, but it's, it's uh, commands that Jesus, who loves us, gives us so that our life can be at 100% of our potential. Potential for joy. He wants us to be joyful. And so let us trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross that brings peace with God and brings spiritual rest and glory to God. Let me say that again. Let us trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that brings peace with God and spiritual rest and glory to God. That means everything we throw upon the cross of Jesus Christ and say, I surrender. Only you live the life which could purchase eternal life for me. So this is mean that we will never have any trials or tribulation during this life. 
How many's had a perfect week so far? No trials, no tribulations. <laughs> no, we all have, right? Some of them may be small, some of them may be big, some may be major, some may be issues at work that have to be dealt with and has caused you anxiety and stress. Some of it may be bills that are piling up and you're not exactly sure how you're going to deal with those bills. Some of it may be a relationship with family member that is, is stressed and broken and you're not wanting to deal with it. You're just wanting it to go away and yet it won't. Well, Jesus says that he's with us in the midst of those. Look at verse number four. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What an amazing verse. If you if you're to ask some preachers today, they would say, I guess they would say that this verse doesn't count anymore because... The Christian life should be all prosperity and you never get sick and you're always well and you're always happy and joyful and, and no tribulation ever comes into your life. But that goes against what scripture actually says. It says that there will be difficult times, that we will go to the very edge of the valley of the shadow of death. So what's the good news about that? Jesus is always present with us during those times. We can go anywhere with Jesus, right? Who's going to defeat Jesus? No one. No one's going to defeat Jesus. He's in his resurrected state. He is God with all power and authority given to him. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God, which we see in Christ Jesus. As we follow Jesus during these trials, he's present with us and he protects us. Christ is present during our trials. He also has this staff and what's the other word? Rod. If you're, anyone in here have shepherding skills? <laughs> Probably not like this too much anymore, right? But the staff, I believe, is the one that you see in many pictures with the crook on the end. And it's designed to push or pull sheep in the direction that the shepherd want them to go. And so he will do that during difficult times if we submit to him, right? If we surrender to him, then we can go in those directions that he knows is best for us. Away from danger, escaping through this route. He can do that with his staff. He also has a rod. A rod was, I can't, I don't remember how long, but a short piece of wood used to scare off or to beat off predators which would come after the sheep. And we have both of these, right? We have times where we get off track and we want to go in a different direction from where God wants us to go and by his word, he gently at first comes and tells us no. According to the word, according to the scripture we just read, you should be going in this direction and not the other direction. And so if we listen if we listen to that, then we adjust our path and we live the joyful Christian life. If we as Christians refuse and kind of go off in our own separate direction, we're going to experience more pain and suffering, right? Not as an act of judgment by God, but as an act of discipline trying to get us back on the track. And so he protects us that way by keeping us on the 
But we have to listen to his word. We have to do what it says. And then the rod, of course, is to help protect those who would come against us. We must always be alert to those who are false teachers. We were talking about this Wednesday night as well. I was also talking with our pastor cohort group this week. We must be on the alert for those who are false teachers. And many denominations disagree on certain things, right? You know, how often to have communion? How do you do baptism? Uh, but false teachers destroy the essence of the foundation of what it means to be saved. And so we cannot follow them. We must be protected by them. Verse 5, he says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we follow Jesus, we will joyfully fellowship with him now and forever. He prepares a meal for us. This is representative of intimate fellowship, intimate relationship that he desires to have for us. How often do you guys like to eat? You're probably thinking right now, how long, much longer is he going to go? <laughs> I'm getting kind of hungry for that meal. I like to eat pretty regular. You can tell, right? One, th one thing that I'd like to leave behind at Freedom is the weight I put on. <laughs> I don't suppose that'll happen very well. I like to eat pretty regular, right? And so our intimacy, our time meeting with God should be regular. And so the time that you pick up your Bible, the time that you read it, pray to God, ask him, what is your will for my life this day, should be frequent. It's as, really it's as often as you get hungry and you get hungrier when you exercise more, right? If you exercise more, it increases your hunger. If you are involved in ministry a lot, you better be reading the Bible a lot. Right? If you're not very hungry to read God's Word, probably because you're not in ministry. Probably because you're not exercised enough. So be in, be in God's Word and enjoy the fellowship with him. It's about enjoying the fellowship, right? Amen. It's not just about getting work done, but it's about sitting down as if you were sitting down with a friend, coffee, going over the day, going over directions on what you're going to be doing that day, and enjoying the fellowship. After all, he loves us, right? He loves us. He's always going to bring good things to us. So he prepares a meal for us. He anoints us with oil. It's a sign of his blessing upon us in Christ. And the result, it says that our cup overflows. Wouldn't you love to have a relationship with Christ that is described by your cup overflowing? Overflowing. I heard a, I heard a description one time by John Piper about how and why God created the world. He said that between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who have always existed, there was so much love between them and so much joy in that relationship that they were like a fountain that could not be contained 
and spewed out over the rest of the world, and that was creation. We were created because he wants to have a joyous relationship with us, and he wants us to represent him so that he will be glorified much. We always have to kind of go back to verse 3 and not skip over it because it says that he leads us in path of righteousness for his namesake. We exist for joy, but we also exist for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. Our cup should be overflowing. Is your cup overflowing today in your relationship with Christ? I'm asking Christians and non-Christians both. If you're non-Christian, then no, it's not. If you're a Christian, it should be. I think another word for this would be full of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. If it's not, then read back through Psalm 23 and look at all the blessings that he has given for us. I want to go back and kind of close by some of these words we sang earlier. I was thinking about this as we were singing. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I had hope. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting and life has no end, for I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious night, light. Amen. We love Jesus, we accept Jesus, we surrender to Jesus because we understand the extent of his love and, far, and how far he went to purchase us for him. So let us take advantage today of the amazing privilege and joy of having fellowship with Jesus. As we close, let me remind you that Jesus provides peace with God and rest. As we follow Jesus during our trials, he is present and provides protection and guidance. As we follow Jesus, we will joyfully fellowship with him now and forever. Let us follow Jesus and be satisfied and content with all that he provides. Sadly, scripture also talks about scattered sheep. Matthew 9:36, sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. They are alone, they are seeking their own way, they are exposed to attack. In our communities and even in our churches, there are people 
who do not follow Christ and are seeking their own way. They are following the things of the world. They are not involved in ministry in a local church, probably because they're following the things of the world. They may profess a belief in God, but do not follow Jesus and his ways. Ultimately, the scripture says, sheep without a shepherd will perish. Folks, that's not what we want for anyone that's in this room. We want you to experience the fullness of life, the abundant life that Jesus Christ has called us to. If you want to find out more about this, please talk to me after this service. But we're going to give you an opportunity now to respond to this. You might say, well, how do I respond to this? How do I do that in a church setting? Well, it's really the same regardless of what kind of setting you're in. It's a, it's a matter of belief. It's not a matter of walking up front or getting baptized, but it's a matter of belief and trust in Him. And so, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that He rose three days later showing that He was victorious over those sins and you place your faith and trust in Him with the hope of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Will you place your faith and trust in him today? And maybe you've been a Christian here today for quite a while but you strayed away. Maybe this is a time when you would come back to the shepherd who loves you so much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had. We thank you for your word. We thank you for parables like this who, that use uh, items like sheep and shepherds to convey messages to us. We pray that we get the message that Jesus is like a shepherd who wants to lead us into an abundant, joyful life, one that is eternal in duration all for his glory and for our good. Help us to understand that. Help us today to choose Jesus over the world. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.